Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Changed. Good day wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, December 18th, 2009. This week, episode 150 comes to you from Studio B in beautiful Coriopolis, Pennsylvania. My name is Joe Hughes, or Radio Joe. Here with me in the studio is the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnag. Good to be here with you, Joe. Good day, Cliff. And uh, at the controls, the lovely and environmental Annie Coalecki. Hey, Joe. Good day, Annie. We've got uh, Dr. Dieter coming in for halftime, and today's segments will be the Year in Review show. We're going to go go back through the past year. We've got some great clips from shows. We're going to discuss some of the shows and give people an idea of what shows they might want to pick and choose from. If uh, you can only listen to a few, you know, might as well find the ones that uh, work best for you. We've been updating and adding a blog to the IAQ Radio website every week after the show. Check it out at iaqradio.com. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at legends-enviro.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. Okay, we've got the uh, thanks to the sponsors. Everybody knows how to contact the show. Just dial in 724-444-7444. Our show ID is 1547. Don't forget we've got those ABIH, IICRC, or ACAC. Oh, the acronym police would kill me on that one. I'm glad you don't have them up here. <laughs> um, renewal credits available by emailing me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. And last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. All right, we're not going to have a trivia question, but Cliff has a, an announcement. Yeah, we do. Uh, the answer man, Paul Haas from Moore Sentner Associates in West Palm Beach, Florida, answered last week's trivia question. He asked that the gift be donated to Toys for Thoughts, and I'll personally take care of that uh, today. Excellent. All right. Thanks to the answer man. All right, let's go back through the shows over the past year here, Cliff. Well, how about some music here. first, yeah. Okay. 
fixing the rearview mirror They appear closer than they are And objects in the rearview mirror They appear closer than they are And objects in the rearview mirror They appear closer than they are Objects in the rearview mirror They appear closer than they are All right, fitting fitting for today's show here. We are looking back over the past year. We started with show 108 uh, back in January, January 16th, actually, with Tom Peter, the remediation CIH. Cliff, anything uh, that brings you know, comes back to mind from that show? Absolutely. I think some real important points uh, that Tom made. Tom reminded us to consider protecting flooring and using decon chambers on sewage cleanup projects as techniques to prevent microbial cross-contamination. Good stuff, very important. Yeah, listeners, get a chance. You want to hear uh, uh, from a certified industrial hygienist that now does remediation, uh, both water damage restoration, sewage, mold remediation, etc. And an interesting show from a perspective that we don't often hear. On show 109, we had uh, an interesting guest and a different show, I'd have to say. Uh, Rachel Hers was our guest, and uh, Rachel is a, a doctor, and uh, she studies odors and, and the sense of smell. And uh, Cliff, I know you had a comment on that, and we've got a clip or two. No, she was terrific, and I think the one thing that I like most of all is she has a theory that an odor in combination with hyperventilation or anxiety can manifest as multiple chemical sensitivity and uh, real intriguing stuff. But I think listeners are going to enjoy a couple of quips we have from uh, from Rachel. And let's do the first one here. The first well, one I mean, was one thing that I'm sure they already know is that you know it's very hard to localize smells in space. So, you know, you have, just because you walk into the room and you smell something, where that scent is emanating from is quite difficult to figure out. And if, depending upon the equipment you have, if you were able to detect, you know, concentration gradients, you could see that there was a lower concentration by the door, let's say, but that the, the concentration seemed quite high in the corner, um, you know, that would be indicative of something. So taking air samples from different places in the room to, in order to see concentration may be able to help you figure out where the source is emanating from. Um, so that's certainly something to be aware of. The other thing, I suppose, has to do with people's responses to the scent that they're perceiving and, and how, you know, threatening they feel that that smell is and to the degree that that is, you know, just kind of, you know, it's too bad the room smells like this, I'd rather I didn't smell anything, or is this something serious, do I need to be concerned, is there something dangerous in the room, which the smell is actually just reflecting, but the smell itself could have nothing to do with danger. That was in response to a question we asked about, you know, wh why was it important or what important information she had for people who do indoor environmental professional type work. The other interesting question, and there were numerous, you'll have to go back and listen to the whole show, was do you smell when you sleep? Well, actually, we do not smell while we dream. And a colleague of mine who is a sleep research expert, we conducted an experiment to see actually whether or not you actually smell the bacon and then wake up or vice versa. And it turns out that you have to wake up first in order to smell the bacon. We actually cannot smell while we were in either deep sleep or dreaming sleep. When we're in very light sleep, it's possible to have a little bit of olfactory sensation, but not in, not in dreaming sleep and not in deep sleep. So what happens typically 
basically we don't realize it, but we have these little micro-awakenings, and they occur more frequently in the morning. So the idea of, you know, smelling the coffee and that wakes you up or the bacon and so forth, it's because we've had this little tiny episode of actually being awake, and that's when that smell can get in, and then we might get more aroused, and that might wake us up because we realize we're hungry, and that's a fantastic smell. One other thing that uh, Dr. Harris brought up was how sometimes the loss of the sense of smell could lead to depression, and I find that interesting, and I've talked to a few people that uh, find that interesting. Check it out when you get a chance. That would have been show 109 with Dr. Rachel Harris. The next show up was show 110 with another Ph.D., Dr. Richard Shaughnessy. Cliff? Yeah, I thought that Dr. Shaughnessy, um, you know, he, everyone knows he's, I guess, fascinated, uh, obsessed, charged with the responsibility of investigating ozone, and we asked him uh, about ultraviolet light and uh, how it could be used in remediation and uh, protection of, of building occupants in buildings, and this is what he had to say. Well, yeah, historically, historically, it, it, uh, the application has been in health healthcare facilities, and and why we use it is is pretty straightforward. I mean, it's for the uh, trying to reduce the risk of airborne transmission of disease, and specifically the concern over tuberculosis many years ago, and still today, in densely occupied areas where you have a population that may. And we encourage you to go back and check out. Dr. Shaughnessy's show, we talked more about UV light, the applications, and how people are now trying to apply UV light in areas where it typically hasn't been used in the past, right. and uh, his thoughts on that, and that was very interesting. We also talked quite a bit about ozone in that show, and uh, another one of Dr. Shaughnessy's uh, areas of study, so that was a great show. Check it out when you get a chance. Then we had show 111 with Bob Baker. Uh, Bob Baker is uh, BBJ Environmental President and uh, one of the owners of BBJ Environmental, former president of IAQA, the Indoor Air Quality Association, ASHRAE Distinguished Lecturer. And uh, we had an interesting uh, discussion about the ASHRAE 180 document, which is a very important document on operations and maintenance of HVAC systems in commercial buildings. Let's do a little clip from the Bob Baker Show. Standard is uh, standard practice for inspection and maintenance of commercial building HVAC systems. And basically the standard concentrates on everything except single-family homes. We're, we're looking at uh, assuring that HVAC systems are maintained in buildings where the general public may be at risk or uh, at risk of either discomfort or something worse, and they have no control over it to make sure that they're, they're protected. Uh, the standard uh, is, is a minimum standard, and unlike many ASHRAE standards, applies to both existing buildings as well as those that are newly constructed. Most ASHRAE standards deal with design of new buildings. Okay, and Bob went on to discuss more about that ASHRAE Standard 180, which um, I think all of us agree that it, it's long overdue. We've got a maintenance standard now for HVAC, and I think a lot of people that are in that industry realize and recognize that could be a real uh, nice 
nice document for people that do the cleaning of those systems and maintenance of them. All right. Next up was show 112. We had uh, Butch and, and Jacqueline Carpenter and uh, Cliff. Yeah we, yeah, we called it all in the family. We talked a number about a number of subjects, and one of which was uh, transferring a business You know, within a family. Butch is tr selling the business to his daughter, and we kind of talked about that. Uh, Butch is a veteran. Uh, the company has done over 100,000 sewage losses. Wow. 100,000. And uh, we asked him about any interesting stories along the way, and uh, we'd like you to hear about this one. Well, I was driving a building one time, and uh, I had, uh, well, it was a big argument up front. How quick could I dry it? I said I could dry it in three days. And uh, so I kind of camped on the job to make sure I, you know, I got everything dry at the morning of the inspection, I had about five people to go with me, and uh, I had one wet spot in the lobby, it was about maybe three foot square. So when we went through the building, I made sure that nobody got to that spot. When I got there, I stood on it so they couldn't check it. <laughs> that's one way of getting clearance. That's Absolutely. one way of getting your clearance there and getting getting the building back into. Uh, back into order okay next up was uh sharon noonan kramer we called that profile and courage and uh, we had sharon on talking about her advocacy for the proper diagnosis and treatment of health-related effects of exposure to water damaged indoor environments and um, she was talking a lot about the gao the government accountability office report that had come out this past year and we've got a short clip from that Basically, they had uh, two recommendations. You know, they they were able to acknowledge that um, it, it starts off why the GA why the GAO did this study. Recent research suggests indoor mold pose, poses a widespread and for some people serious health threat. So that's why they did it, and and they were able to take this down to just two recommendations. I find incredible. Um, what they concluded is that our government, we need one central area within our government that um, all the information coming from the various departments are consistent so that we're sending out the same message. And um, they also concluded that we need one central area that kind of overviews where is the research heading so we're not um, overlapping and wasting dollars and we're not um, conflicting with, with where we are. And, what and we went on to discuss more, a lot more about the GAO report, which, by the way, we've, we've got a lot of links on the resources link on iaqradio.com. So any document we talk about here on the show, we typically, after the show, we'll go back and download that to, to the resources section if it's available publicly. Actually, some that aren't available uh, unless you subscribe to some obscure journal somewhere that the uh, speakers have oftentimes allowed us to post. So we've got quite a few great resources on that link. She made a very interesting comment in the show, and uh, it, it quote, uh, you know, what she said was, if one is sensitive to something, then they share in the responsibility of helping themselves, which uh, we kind of thought was pretty profound. 
Absolutely. All right. Let's go to number 114, show 114 this year. That would have been on February 27th, and that was called uh, We Can Do Her. At least that's what the blog was, Cliff. What do you think? Right. Yeah, that was a, a statement that Jim Pearson used in his company, uh, asked about whether they could handle all sorts of uh, restoration, remediating tasks. That's how they would answer uh, We Can Do Her. He's out in Montana. Uh, I think... Uh, it was a really good show, and I, I think what's most important uh, to me that, that he said in the show is Jim's done a lot of nonprofit volunteer work, and he just said something that was geared to nonprofit organizations. And what it is is volunteers need to feel appreciated. So that's something that nonprofit organizations really need to think about. Thank, uh, thank those volunteers. You got a second that one? We've had, and a lot of the people that have been on the show have been volunteers in one way or another in different associations or, or you know any number of um, ways they volunteered their efforts over the years to help out people who are less fortunate than them and this time of year it's important to recognize those folks and that's what we'd like to do with uh, Jim Pearson and also you know when you said um, can do her it reminds me of Andy Osk uh, he's got a little statement uh, get her done get her uh, done yeah, yeah that's yeah. old Andy get yeah. her done get her done all right how about show 115 wrong again radio Joe that was called I think I wrote that blog yeah. we had uh, Professor Tangley and Robert Bean another ASHRAE distinguished lecturer on the show and we had some interesting discussion about ASHRAE's goal of zero net energy use in uh, new buildings by 2030 and I thought we were going to be talking about solar energy and wind power and how we were going to um, make these great advances through these methods of lowering energy consumption. As it turns out, um, the two guests we had felt it was more likely that we would make better progress by constructing buildings with better building envelopes and by building our buildings in a better way and or retrofitting them. So that was an interesting show for me. In fact, we've got uh, two short clips from that. We also talked about environmental sensitivities, and, and Professor Lee is uh, was part of a group that wrote a document that, again, is on our, our website on environmental sensitivities. Let's hear that. Well, maybe I could, um, Joe, because I was one of the uh, authors of that report. That, report. Uh, that is uh, from the Canadian Human Rights Commission that uh, we were commissioned to do so. And Meg Sears is the, uh, the chief writer for that, and we all provided input. And, of course, I, my focus, uh, there's a lot of medical doctors that's, uh, going, that has input into it, and my part was looking at the, the, the building environment and how that has impacted the, the air quality in such a way that it affects the occupants within. And so it's a great document. We've got it on the website on environmental sensitivities, and um, it helped me, and I think it would help others in distinguishing between these different terms that people use when we discuss people with environmental sensitivities or multiple chemical sensitivity, et cetera, and, and I've used that document quite a bit since that show. The other thing we talked about uh, that uh, Robert Bean discussed was what do we mean by designing for the body, which was kind of, he had an interesting response to that. Yeah, you know, it, it goes back to what uh, Professor Lee was saying, and, and that is, is that indoor environmental quality is, is all about conditioning the person. And that means that we have to think about air quality, we have to think about thermal comfort quality, uh, sound, odors, lighting, and another one that's often missed is, is actually vibration. 
And uh, although we don't tend to see that being a concern so much in residences, unless, of course, the residence is located near an airport or near some uh, rail tracks. But those, those metrics really make up indoor environmental quality. And the interesting thing is, is that... And we went on and discussed that in, in quite a bit of detail. Interesting show with Professor Lee and Robert Bean. The next week, uh, th- things got a little chippy, it says there, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, w- I was off, and you were here uh, with um, Director Michael Roland Williams, who put together the Black Mold Exposure and uh, film. And, um, I, you know, I understand that he sent us copies of the film, and yeah. uh, we're going to watch it, and hopefully we'll review it. and. We'll re- report back, back next year. Yep. We'll let you know how it came out. We didn't get a chance to review it yet. Actually, it's still in the mail to me. We just heard back from uh, Mr. Williams that the, I guess, now what are they nowadays? CDs, DVD, whatever right, right. it is. I'm used to cassettes, uh, no right. more cassettes. Um, the CD or DVDs on the way. We'll check it out when it gets here. All right, let's go up to 117. Here's a great one. We had uh, My Radio Show is Killing Me, <laughs> Jeff May. Uh, Jeff May is a, a fascinating guy, one of the most experienced indoor environmental professionals in in the country. And uh, Cliff, did you have anything you wanted to say about that one before I get the clip? I did. I, I mean, he's always a phenomenal guest, and I, you know, I, I suggest that listeners buy and read the books. Uh, he's got several of them that are really, really good, and that's kind of where we get the killing me from because my home's killing me, my office is killing me. Yeah. Uh, these are the different names of his books. But I thought he had a very interesting uh, theory, and this is what's called a surrogate allergen. And he gave an example of latex allergen being carried on the starch used as a donning aid on latex gloves. Uh, really interesting theory. You know, another one he had, which I, I think I'm going to check it out myself. I've got to work on this, and, and i got to say hello to my loving wife, Dottie, out there. I know she's listening in, and uh, we've got to work on getting these enzyme-free detergents. Jeff has a theory, and he's really started to push that this year, that the enzymes in the detergents are possibly causing allergic reactions and a lot of that information that he brought forward comes from both his own personal experience but also the fact that there's only one TLV for a biological that he was aware of and and that was for this uh, particular enzyme yeah subtocillin the enzyme that is oftentimes included in detergents let's listen to a little bit of what Jeff had to say on that fascinating stuff and then uh, another, uh, my other sort of little pet theory has to do with enzyme exposures from uh, from detergents. I think that uh, <clears throat> the number of number of detergents that have enzymes in them has increased tremendously, and it's probably um, you know 70, 80 percent of the market. And and I think that the enzyme residues in in clothing and in sheets and pillows that that's, uh, you know, can cause asthma symptoms. You know, speaking of enzymes, uh, many of the quote-unquote green, all-natural cleaning products are, are based on enzymes. Uh, could you comment on that? Well, I, I, I don't have so much of an argument, really, with using en- enzymes for just for hard surface cleaning. But the, the, the real problem with enzymes in detergents is that it produces a lot of aerosol. There's resi- there are residues that are left on the clothing 
and there are residues that get into the uh, you know into the lint. So so people are breathing it in, and that's really where you know where I have my issue. That that uh, I know that the the industry claims that there are no there's no allergy to the, the, this particular protease. It's called subtilis in the in the general public, but in the manufacturing plants they had very very high rates over 50% sensitization, and a lot of that was occupational asthma. So we know that subtilisin is a very potent uh, asthmogen, and uh, and the, the, the claim is that the manufacturers all claim, well, there is no residue that will cause sensitization on the clothing, but I, I, I found otherwise. Very interesting. And uh, for those of you that are investigating, you know, complaints and can't quite figure out well, you know why these people were having issues maybe uh, maybe there's a smoking gun there we'll yeah look at the detergents look, look at, at the, the laundry products yeah, that's certainly what uh, Jeff has found okay let's go to show 118 another interesting we had a laboratory twofer here uh, we had dr. Jason Dubronic and uh, Derek Tanner from the EMSL labs and um, we had a little clip from Jason here about gram-negative bacteria and endotoxins. No, it is. It's not a theory. It's actually it's, it's based on, on uh, their cell wall. It's a component of well, it's the polysaccharide layer. So it, for the bacteria, it's a very important part of, of how they're made up and how, how their cells evolved. Um, for us, however, for for the human impact is, is that we react to that cell wall component, that polysaccharide. They call it the LPS, lipopolysaccharide layer. And to us, when we get that inside of us, that reacts and, and gives us the effect. So it's not specifically they, they came out to produce this endotoxin to somehow, you know, harm people or do, or do something. It's just that we're reacting to something that's naturally they, they need as part of their cell wall, how they evolve. I see. And, then that, and it's only gram negatives that that are set up that way. They're the ones that have this this LPS uh, layer. The gram positives do not. So, and that goes back to discussion we we'll oftentimes have about you know gram negative bacteria and how they produce endotoxins. I could never figure out how this gram staining method showed which bacteria produced endotoxins and which didn't. And that cleared it up for me uh, very nicely. I thought Jason did a good job, and uh, maybe Dr. Dieter can talk to us a little more about that at halftime. Okay, next up, we had show 119. We're all the way up to uh, April here, and uh, we had the clutterphobic uh, show with uh, Nisa Koi. Cliff? Yeah, uh, Nisa Koi grew up with a compelling need to clean and organize, and that became a business model. And she and her husband, Kevin, have a product that they call Mobile Clean. It's a mobile cleaning factory on wheels. They drive it to where fire damages have occurred, and they clean and process the property right on site. Interesting uh, business model, and they're doing quite well. All right. That takes us up to show 120. We had an interesting show 120. In fact, our first uh, guest that sent their own introductory music. Uh, we had Ed Light. Ed Light is a, a CIH, Certified Industrial Hygienist. Ed's uh, well-known uh, in the indoor air quality industry. He was one of the authors of the Building Air Quality, uh, EPA's initial guide to um, indoor air quality managers and uh, you know facility managers for indoor air quality back in 1991. He also wrote a, a chapter in the uh, one of the other, uh, several of other well-known indoor air quality 
references that people use. And uh, Ed's got kind of a controversial uh, uh, reputation in the industry. And um, I didn't find him all that controversial. And I thought this one clip really helped. Uh, and it was his thoughts on mold health effects. I've heard people kind of say he doesn't feel that they have any health effects. And let's talk. Let's let's listen. Oh, that's uh, I guess I'm say wait, reading the Internet scuttlebutt about me. That's that's very misunderstood. Uh, I strongly believe from the scientific literature and my field experience that uh, mold growth in the building and damp buildings uh, certainly can cause health problems, particularly in the more sensitive individuals, and that uh, unresolved water damage and mold growth is is uh, essentially an action level. You need to, to do something about it. Uh, and uh, definitely accept that there are health problems and you need to uh, get rid of the mold growth in buildings. Uh, I do have an... Uh, open mind and, and there are unanswered issues as far as other health effects and while that's the big deal in all these lawsuits I, I think it's a, not that important an issue there are different opinions uh, but the fact is that uh, uh, when you have mold growing in a building and unresolved water damage you, you need to fix it well well said by Ed and uh, I can see he seems to think other things are a little more of a concern Cliff yeah, I think that uh, on the smoke side, the, the soot side, uh, uh, you know, he seems to have picked up on that. But I've always found that to be practical, reasonable, and not be a person that runs around to the skies falling. And he doesn't seem to get shaken, and I kind of like that. Let's uh, listen a little bit on what he said about the soot issue. I think that's a good one. That'll take us right up to halftime. We'll bring in Dr. Dieter. Well, I think the uh, issues following a fire and, and the cleanup are uh, have tremendous health implications, are very unresolved. And I look at it this way. I think Stacky Botchers has a good press agent, and, and Soot doesn't. And all the attention and, and the research box has been you know, shifted over to mold and moisture, which we pretty well understood 25 years ago. And uh, meanwhile, we have, uh, you know, when, it, when a uh, good thorough restoration job is allowed, it is done by the contractor with, with a a very careful assessment, and it's usually very effective. However, we don't understand the, the exposures. Uh, we don't understand uh, exactly uh, uh, how effective these are, what are the residual exposures uh, in these uh, you know, previously uh, uh, burned environments. And uh, uh, I've proposed that we need to do more research in this area, and I notice you know, we're available uh, indoor air quality consultants we're called in 99% of the time to deal with a alleged or real mold problem. We're never called in in fire restoration unless the place was soaked and grew into a tropical rainforest. <laughs> and then they don't care about the exposure to, to all the combustion byproducts and, and soot and, and plastic decomposition products and all that stuff. You know, they say, make this mold free. So that's, that's kind of where the money is. Well, I, you can't argue with that, although I, I, I guess um – some people feel, and, and, and I can understand both sides of the story, that, uh, you know, we should be focusing a lot more on dampness and moisture problems and, and the resulting mold growth. So that, that debate will continue, and we'll keep covering it next year. Let's go to halftime, bring in Dr. Dieter, see what kind of comments he's got at this point. 
Good day, Dieter. Hello, Dr. Dieter. Yeah, I remember some of those shows, indeed. <laughs> no doubt about it. And I uh, taught and told people for many, many, many years that the threshold limit value, the TLV, uh, for that enzyme um, it was the lowest threshold limit value in the TLV book from the ACGIH, the American Conference of Government and Dr. Hygienists. Now, the Bible for people who do uh, occupational exposures. But I think there's a new one, and I don't know when it got in. I just looked through a TLV list, which I have in my hand, that is beryllium, which is point zero 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 five milligrams per cubic meter, and the other nasty enzyme, acetylicis, is 0 0.0006. So beryllium went by 10 thousandths of a second or something. <laughs> <laughs> what was the name of that other? I didn't catch the name of the other enzyme, Dieter. No, no, it wasn't an enzyme. I think it's a beryllium. Enzyme is, uh, where is it here? Subtacillin. Okay. okay, I thought you said another active one. Active enzyme, crystalline active enzyme, and I think it is an enzyme in detergent. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I remember years ago, I mean many years ago, like 30 years ago, when somebody introduced that, they had problems in the factory. I don't, I have no idea who was, and who cares. Uh, uh, who was uh, or which was the first company that used that enzyme you know, for cleaning purposes? Their initials might be uh, P and G. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He talked. Jeff it, talked quite it, a bit it about that. It is very well possible, but I'm not 100 percent sure of that. Therefore, I'm not going to say it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, they didn't have problems with customers who were using the product, and it kind of makes sense. Yeah. You know, once you use it in the water, you know, it doesn't jump out of there and become airborne in a hurry. There is no aerosolizer. But they had incredible problems in the manufacturing plant. And apparently, and not apparently, it is, it's, 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 it's right there. A little goes a long way, and a lot of people had problems with it. Yes. Absolutely. Dieter, any other comments on the first half? Well, no, I, I, um, yeah, it's, it, yeah, I, I remember all the shows that I was there. Uh, to most of them, there may have been one, one or two, which I uh, missed. But um, yeah, I, uh, as you know, Joe, I, the, the last two weeks I wasn't in Pittsburgh. That's right. And I had a heck of a time of getting uh, on. A, I, I, I was in Jamaica, and I didn't want to pay. Two dollars and seventy-five cents a minute to listen to you guys. <laughs> oh dear, we're not worth that. <laughs> there comes a cutoff point. All right, there comes a cutoff point. Let's bring you back for the roundup. Let's get into the second half. Before we do, we've got to thank our sponsors. We're delighted to have as our first association sponsor the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary group 
dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at IAQA.org. Now, thanks to our advertisers. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. ProRestore for cleaning, odor removal, and antimicrobial products and equipment remediators trust and depend on. Visit them at ProRestoreProducts.com. And, of course, our primary sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions, and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Drys Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Drys is first in drying solutions. Learn about them at dri-eaz.com. And John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn more at legends-enviro.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. Okay. Uh, episode 121 was pesticide regulation. Uh, we had Elliot Harrison from the regulatory consulting firm of Lewis & Harrison. Uh, Elliot did a nice job in terms of clarifying uh, definitions that are commonly used within the industry and um, did a nice job on explaining the treated article exemption, and that's when antimicrobial products are allowed to be incorporated in products uh, to protect them. Uh, he used the word called tension to refer to the high level of stress which comes with interfacing with the EPA. Uh, tension always exists between government regulators and those who are regulated, and actually uh, I can tell you that both uh, environmental and Annie uh, and I feel tension <laughs> when dealing with the agency. You can, you can testify on that? Absolutely. Uh, right. yeah. hey, I'm going to give a testimonial. I thought that was a great show. I, I really enjoyed Elliot, and he did a nice job of bringing it down to, you know, to the, the bare facts, what, what we needed to know. And, in fact, we'll be using that show quite a bit in future training courses because we, we talk about the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, Rodenticide Act, and it was excellent information, all highly accurate, obviously. He's one of the top guys in the business, so very well done. Okay, let's move on to show 122. Uh, we had one on pesticides. Well, we had to bring in the other side, and uh, the next show was we had a little note on there. It's not easy being green. We had Stephen Ashkin of the uh, Ashkin Group on, and uh, he's known as the father of green cleaning. And, uh, Cliff, I thought you had a couple thoughts on that. No, I did a really nice job. And, you know, one of the things that I, I thought was really important is the, uh, you know, oftentimes, well, uh, green cleaning products have gotten some bad press lately. And it, it wasn't so much due to the product. It was due to the poor delivery of those products and cleaning processes failing rather than poor cleaning products. And uh, really, really good show. It's definitely one I would suggest listeners listen to. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that, you know, even within your blog you wrote that um, you didn't expect to agree with uh, Mr. Ashkin as much as you ended up agreeing when the two of you actually had a chance to sit and talk and, well, not sit and, well, we were yeah. both sitting yeah, probably, right, but in right. different rooms. Right, right. And um, I thought it was a great interview, and um, I thought he was a very practical man that did a great job of describing the issues 
that uh, surround this whole green cleaning effort right now. So take a listen and uh, check it out and let us know what you think. Next up was show 123. We're into May. We had the real estate rock czar on. I, what more can I say? The real estate rock czar, huh? Yeah, the, the guy that uh, leaves Indiana with $50 in his pocket and then is trying to uh, paddle the world's largest green mansion for $27.5 million. Yeah, unbelievable. What, what a great story. It was. It was a good story, an interesting story, and uh, we'll, we'll probably be hearing more. I'm sure people will hear more about Frank. He's a great self-promoter there. All right, that takes us up to 124. There was no 124. We actually took that week off. So now we're up to 125. We had Dr. Bob Brandis and his wife, Gail. Uh, Dr. Bob and, and Gail were on to talk a little bit about HEPA filtration, high-efficiency particulate air filtration. And they did a wonderful job of dispelling some of the myths about HEPA filtration. Excuse me. They also um, began to inform us about a new standard that's coming out, the Indoor Environmental Standards Organization's standard for testing, not the filter itself, but the device. So in other words, the HEPA vacuum, the air filtration device. And that standard has made quite a bit of progress since that show. And I expect that'll be final and it'll be an ANSI IESO standard, American National Standards Institute IESO standard, sometime in the first quarter, maybe no later than the second quarter of next year. It went out for public comment and I know they're doing some training on it coming up pretty soon. So should be interesting, and uh, for those of you contractors out there using these devices, get ready. The um, IEPs of the world are going to be starting to check your equipment with uh, particle counters following this standard. So should be might be an idea, a good idea to check them yourself before you get started. Next up was the straight scoop on poop. Yeah, we had that? Patrick Moffitt, uh, Pat's uh, from the West Coast or left coast, and uh, you know he's kind of specialized in dealing with uh, sewage intrusion, and uh, you know he has a, a nice, calm demeanor, and he used uh, understandable terms and explained, uh, you know, what some of the hazards are. Uh, to me, a uh, real important learning point was his use of the term engineered ground to refer to the soil within crawl spaces. Yeah, there was an interesting discussion about um, remediation of crawl spaces that had sewage damage in them. And um, if we had time, we could play a, a fairly lengthy clip, but it would probably be best if you have interest in that topic, listen to what uh, Patrick Moffat had to say on that show. Did a great job. Did a good job. All right, 127, I believe that takes us to, and that's going to be on the back of this page right here cliff that was that was, uh, that was will yeah will spates and tim toburin came in from uh, florida and this was right in the you know at the height of the chinese drywall uh, concerns and uh will and tim came on did a nice job discussing the issues with respect to uh what they were finding on the chinese drywall issue since they are at ground zero in the tampa area there and um they've got a nice blog up on the issue and um, they've been following it closely and there's been quite a few new developments on that issue and um, we're not going to have time to go into all of them today but it was a great show on Chinese drywall and then we followed it up with uh, Michael Green uh, who's an attorney who's also in ground zero yep. and also has a lot of experience in dealing with <laughs> various types of contaminants uh, within buildings and the effect that it has on real estate and uh, did a really good job on that. 
All right, that takes us up to 129. We have Mr. Wayne Baker. Wayne's a certified industrial hygienist and a professional engineer, and um, we had a show on industrial hygiene applications for indoor environmental quality. And Cliff asked a question that has puzzled people in this industry for years. Where did this this um, information that mold growth can begin within 24, 24 to 48 hours begin. Where right. did it come, Where did from? It come from? And uh, we've got a clip on that. It's the Ariston uh, section there. <laughs> <laughs> a vineyard and a vintage wine. Right. Uh, for, 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 for everyone that, uh, that, that is listening and who cares, I, I guess Cliff and I met for the first time. I think it was the first time I met. Yeah, absolutely, at RIA. At an RIA meeting. And uh, and he asked me this question about, uh, and it's a great question, and again, another one of those that I suspect many of us have struggled with or have sought answers to. Where's the back, or the question being this, where's the background um, for the contention that mold growth will be initiated or will begin within 24 to 48 hours of a wetting uh, or water loss event? And again, it's one of those that I went searching for, and I'm going to I'm going to give folks a, a reference here that they can look up. It actually goes back to a publication by a fellow named Ayers, and as you might expect, it actually has something to do with the uh, with food microbiology. Uh, it was a publication from 1969 in a journal called. Let me make sure I get the site correct here. Uh, it's a journal called uh, the Journal of Stored Product Research, and uh, I don't know what this individual's first name is. The initial is G. G. Ayers in 1969 published a paper called The Effects of Moisture and Temperature on Growth and Spore Germination in Some Fungi. That information, that paper has since been and Wayne went on to discuss that issue and check that show out if you want more information about that. I know I, I can't count the number of times people have asked, you know, where does that come from? It was great to have Wayne let us know. The next show was uh, show 130. We had um, Dr. Charles Gilbert on the show. And Dr. Gilbert's one of these, he's a toxicologist and epidemiologist, and he does those kind of things that I don't quite always understand. But uh, he had a real nice way of, of bringing it down to earth and, and discussing with us what toxicologists do, what epidemiologists do, and, and how important those two uh, topics are to the, the, discover, the, the investigation of indoor environmental quality um, problems and uh, how people go in and respond when in particular when there's clusters of problems and uh dr D gilbert did a great job on that next up was 131 uh we had one of the the building science gurus out there one of the guys that uh, actually wayne baker refers to a lot and joe steebrook refers to a lot and i i was fortunate enough to meet here the past summer at uh, summer camp uh, Mr. Bill Rose, who's with the uh, University of Chicago at Illinois, up in uh, Illinois, and uh, we asked him, you know, what is a building scientist? Uh, what is a building scientist here, Bill? <laughs> it's a, it is an odd term, and rarely, we don't, well, the, the public doesn't talk about it. Building scientists talk about it among one another, but people outside of building science rarely ask that question. Uh, we know what science is. And we know what buildings are, and basically 
actually building science. It's just science applied to, to buildings. Um, but to take that just a little bit further, we know sciences can be sort of inductive or deductive. Like biology begins as an inductive science where you look around and you see that plants don't move, but animals do. And um, by looking at the conditions that are outside in the real world, begin to draw organization charts and, and begin to make sense and order of uh, what would otherwise be a pretty chaotic situation. A deductive science sort of starts from principles and draws conclusions. Uh, input leads directly to output. And uh, building science is sort of both. The people who model say, here are the physical principles, and so buildings ought to do this. But the inductive scientists will say, Let's look around and see what buildings are actually doing and what people are doing in buildings. Let's look at how healthy people seem to be in different environments. Uh, uh, to me, that's one of the important distinctions that science teaches, uh, induction versus deduction in the approach to buildings. Well said by Bill Rose. Next up, Cliff. Yeah, we had episode number 132. Uh, we had a mechanical engineer and a certified industrial hygienist named Bud Offerman, and uh, got some really great nuggets uh, from that one. Uh, you know, we discussed zero-energy buildings, and he said some pretty profound things that buildings are for people and health trumps energy. Yep. Yep. Interesting, interesting uh, show. Bud was an interesting gentleman. We talked a lot about the Green Building Council, the U.S. Green Building Council, and um, he actually said, it, you know, it takes a little courage to look at yourself and, and to see how you are performing. And um, I don't know that everybody thinks those buildings are performing as well as they should be, although I do believe they're working on uh, making, making that program better. And, and I think we're going to hear a lot more about that in 2010. I know we are. We're going to bring a lot more people in on the green building issue. Let's move on. We've got 133. Oh, your friend. Go yeah, ahead. my friend, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Felicia Chanchrulo. Uh, we called that one Felicia Capicia. <laughs> and uh, I think one of the yucky, unsettling things about the show was to find out that three-quarters of the world population is colonized with uh, one sort of parasitic worm uh, or another. Yeah, that was a... Uh, unsettling fact there but uh we know that in developing nations i think it came about because of a, a study i saw from haiti and um there it's more like 80 percent or 90 percent as i recall but you'd have to go back and listen to the show to get the exact number and uh so i think obviously the developing nations um contribute a great deal to that three out of four but I'm sure there's a few here in the in the states too, huh? Yeah, I think, but I think for those people interested in microbiology, it was really uh, a great show. She gave real precise and succinct answers, uh, covered the terminology that we commonly use very, very well. Real well, real well. Next up, smoke on the water damage yeah. with Ken Larson. That's a buddy of yours, Cliff. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Ken's someone that uh, you know has something to say about structural and material drying. And, uh, you know, he has uh, his own ideas on 
the way people are doing it, uh, industry standards and, and documents. He thinks we've made some mistakes. Uh, he's written a number of articles, and he's challenged conventional thinking. So, uh, you know, he's uh, not embarrassed or not afraid to, to give his appoint, uh, opinion. And uh, like Ed Light, he's someone who's uh, pretty controversial but has some uh, very important things to say. All right, next up, 135. Uh, this was a repeat, Steve Tobiran, not a repeat show, just a repeat guest because he had done such a great job the first time around. And we brought Steve back to talk about the Strategies for Success program. Cliff? Well, what, what happened was um, they have a program that helps business people uh, do better in their, in their businesses. And by and, they, you mean John Don? Yeah, correct? John Don. Okay. And, you know, rather than trying to sell people stuff, uh, you know, one of the things that they've done that's interesting is um, create great customers by helping their customers create great businesses. And, uh, you know, what Steve did is talk about various business strategies that have proven successful. Uh, for helping people in the cleaning, restoration, environmental air quality businesses uh, you know, run their businesses. Yeah, great show for those of you interested in helping uh, take your business to the next level. All right, 136. Oh, boy, there we go. Here's talk about controversial guys. Uh, right. uh, we had Dr. Richie Shoemaker on. Dr. Shoemaker making his third appearance on the show. We actually um, uh, heard from Dr. Shoemaker that he had a new paper out actually two new papers, and uh, he sent the, sent the papers to us, and we brought him on to talk about these new papers, and we've got a, a short clip just to give you a little nugget and get your interest up so you go back and uh, take a listen to show number 136. I think you picked the right music for what's new because Cure the Boy is what one of the papers is all about. I'm not talking about fixing Tommy and all his problems. <laughs> what I'm looking at... I did like that. <laughs> what I'm talking about is for the first time we have a nice, well, I think it's a nice organized approach to pediatric illness. And, and basically, when we look at children exposed to the interior environments of water-damaged buildings, their illness presentation is a little different than adults. They follow the same kinds of principles, but I had not seen any uh, roster of children presented with, you know, good, complete data and nice, uh, full Excel spreadsheets of data uh, until March when we made a presentation to the uh, International Association for Chronic Fatigue Syndrome on 163 patients, uh, age 3 through uh, 18, uh, who uh, had exposure to water-damaged buildings and had a multi-system, multi-symptom illness of which chronic fatigue was present in all of them. And Dr. Shoemaker went on to uh, make a pretty compelling uh, argument for his theories on why water-damaged buildings cause problems, and especially for children. And uh, I'd encourage any listeners interested in that topic to listen to Show 136. Show 137, we had uh, Jack Springston on. He's a certified industrial hygienist who did quite a bit of work uh, in and around the sites after 9-11. And uh, we had some very interesting discussion there about how they were differentiating between what cause and effect there was for, with respect to insurance coverage and um, what types of building damage were caused by the event itself and how they determined 
and we're able to show that that damage and that that dirt and debris came from uh, the the tragedy that occurred on 9/11. And I thought Jack did a great job, and we appreciated having him on. 138. Uh, we've got to move a little quicker. I know October 17th. Mac is back. Um, Mac Pierce. What else can I say about Mac Pierce? Give me a short clip on Mac. We <laughs> bacteria have to be cultured to, in order to identify them. They're too small to look at in the microscope and know which one they are. You have to culture them and see what they'll grow on and see what their nutritional requirements are. I've read somewhere that we can culture about one percent of all the bacteria in our own bodies and 1% of the ones we find in the soil outdoors as well. So we're just scratching the surface of that kingdom. What we do know is that the bacteria outnumber and outweigh all the other organisms on Earth. They actually, the number of bacteria in your body can outnumber the cells in your body. You're, you're, you're alive. <laughs> you're, you're a zoo. <laughs> it's interesting, Mac. It's classic Mac, Mac I'll tell you. <laughs> you. You can't beat that one. It's classic Mac. Uh, you've got to listen to the show. Um, and check out Mac. He's an entertaining guy, but also unbelievably knowledgeable. My uh, my my intern who was helping me make these clips, um, he, he listened. He's like, is that guy a doctor? I said, well, he's, he's working on his Ph.D., but he's a master in public health, and he's just a pretty sharp character. So right. interesting show. All right, let's go to 140. On 140, we did have a Ph.D., Dr. Ava King, who uh, – works a lot with asthma, allergies, and indoor air quality issues at the Indoor Biotechnologies Company down in uh, Virginia, in the Western Virginia area. Fascinating show. Uh, Dr. King is an expert on allergens and the measurement of allergens, the the sampling aspect of things, but uh, even more so on the analysis. And it was a fascinating show on a topic that I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about in the future. So, We'll uh, just leave it at that and take a listen to 140 when you get a chance. Yeah, episode 141, we had Wayne Baker back, and the subject was why do people get sick in damp buildings? Yeah, well done by Wayne. Wayne has a paper. It's on our website under the resources section that goes through the history of damp building research, starting really more uh, current research back around 2000 to what he considers to be the most important study to date, which is the World Health, World, excuse me, World Health Organization's study that just came out this year, which is also linked on our resources page. So uh, I'll leave it at that and let the listeners go and check that out. It's an excellent resource. And that takes us up to show 142. What can I say about Carl Grimes? Uh, Carl's a, a fascinating figure, a gentleman who um, got into this business 20 years ago because of his own environmental sensitivities. Nobody could figure out what was wrong with him, so he, he decided to go out and figure it out on his own. And uh, he's now uh, vice president of the Indoor Air Quality Association, one of the top speakers in the country, invited to just about every conference there is. Fascinating guy. Our topic there was the synergy and interaction between all the different groups that seem to be working towards solving these indoor environmental quality problems. Fascinating show. I think it's going to be something we're going to talk a lot more about next year. And I just want, I just, I just want to build on one thing. When you use the term gentleman or gentleman, uh, that describes uh, Coral Grimes. Well said. Next up, 143. Well, Cliff brought in... Uh, yeah, we had Dr. Alan Zelikoff back, and... Uh, 
wow, I mean, here's a guy that knows all about uh, weapons of bioterrorism. And uh, we brought him back to talk about the pandemic H1N1. And there were just a lot of great things in the show, and, and one of which was this term reassortment and the mixing of genetic material of the species into new combinations. And uh, we weren't, I never knew before that you could get two different flu viruses simultaneously. At the same time, amazing, amazing. Okay, we got to move along. 144, Andy Robinson. Cliff, I know Andy's one of your, your friends and uh, interesting gentleman. I just want to mention that I had a listener um, email me or call. I can't remember which. It was a call. He called me up and said, you know, I, I always had heard this wet goes to dry and, you know, and, and that sounds good and all, but, you know, Andy really went beyond that in explaining that issue and in drying and, and he did a great job we called it hot stuff right and you know andy explained that heat gets the molecules excited and gets them moving and uh, you know that he said it's not the silver bullet he described uh, how heat drying works where it can be used what separates different types of heat drying processes from the others he also gave some other opportunities for using it uh, pest control applications, bake out of odors and chemical irritants in buildings. Did a nice job. Well, Real nice job. Well done. Well done. All right. Then we got a, a big coup. We, we brought in one of the big guns on 145, Sam Rashkin of the U.S. EPA. He's the manager of the Energy Star for Homes program. And, and the focus of the show wasn't so much the Energy Star program, but one that many listeners may or may not be uh, aware of. EPA has an Indoor Air Plus program now, which kind of builds on the Energy Star program. Fascinating show. I think we've got a short clip from Sam here. Sure. Uh, the differences are that in traditional construction, we used to build what are called vented crawl spaces. So we would, we would again, have a, um, a, a very low space below the floor that um, that's, has a wall around it with ventilation and we would insulate the floor above the crawl space, and the ventilation would bring in, in the summer, very hot, humid air, and in the winter would bring in very cold air. And then the insulation that would go on the floor would be your thermal boundary from the house to that crawl space. Now, uh, I'll go into how that works in a second, but first let me explain the difference between what's required for Air Plus. With Air Plus, what happens now is we seal the crawl space with poly, and tape it at the seams and bring it up the walls and uh, secure it with a furring board and, and, and keep it set so that the moisture from the ground cannot get in the crawl space. And then we don't put any vents in the walls and treat the crawl space almost like a mini basement. There'll be a, one heating duct or a supply duct there and the insulation goes on the walls, not on the flat floors above the crawl space. What a great, that was just great to have for me. I will be using that clip in classes from now on. I go to South Carolina, North Carolina, uh, even in the northern Florida area, Georgia. The crawl space issue is just one that comes up time after time. It's great to have that information available now. We've always had information from Joe Steebrook and other building scientists, but um, Sam has brought it into the government documents now, and uh, hopefully that's going to catch on and, and people are going to start fixing some of these problems with crawl spaces because they can become a, a tremendous issue. We have a link on, right now it's on the home page. We'll move it to the resources page 
to the new Indoor Air Plus section of EPA. It's not new, but it's only been about around about a year or two. Um, and they've got a lot of great details there. For those of you that are interested in building science issues, I highly recommend going to that one. Next up. Oh, why don't you do this one, Joe? All right. Michael, Dr. Michael Finley and I, um, we've had a, a wonderful relationship for probably about seven years now. Um, Dr. Finley came to a certified indoor environmentalist course that actually Dr. Wow and I were teaching way back when. He's a certified industrial hygienist, certified safety professional, who also has been doing more and more in his um, later years here of uh, indoor environmental quality work. And we started, um, actually it was his, um, him and I thought about this, I guess, and we've got a class going at the University of West Florida called um, Fundamentals of Industrial Hygiene Applications for Indoor Environmental Quality. And the course went really well this first semester. We'll be doing it again in January, and I would encourage anybody interested in that subject to go to the University of West Florida's website and sign up for the course because uh, you will learn quite a bit about industrial hygiene. And Mike's a great guy. He did a great job on that show. Episode 147, OSHA Shmosha. We had Paul Snyder, who's a certified safety professional and certified industrial hygienist. And he discussed with IEQ Radio listeners about what we can expect from OSHA under the new Obama administration. He also outlined what triggers OSHA inspections, what happens during an OSHA inspection, and provided meaningful and important suggestions into how to react and respond to it. Yeah, well done. Well done. As someone who's dealt a lot with uh, health and safety issues in the past, I, I, I was glad to hear a lot of things he said. It kind of reaffirmed for me things that I'd you know, kind of heard in the past, repeated probably, and it was nice to know they were probably pretty darn accurate. All right, let's move on. 148, we had Philip Jalbert. I, I got to get the name right there. We uh, may have uh, mispronounced it on the air, but I want to make up for that today. Um, he is the executive secretary. Uh, he's with the U.S. EPA for the Federal Interagency Committee on Indoor Air Quality. So we had another coup here this year, two EPA people on the show. And uh, Phil did a great job of discussing how actually what uh, Sharon Noonan Kramer had been talking about earlier in the year, how the federal government is working on coordinating all the information that comes in through numerous federal agencies on indoor environmental quality issues. And he's in charge of uh, kind of organizing that program. I thought he did a great job. Cliff, you want to add anything? Yeah, no, I, I just thought it was uh, interesting trivia to learn that fellow Pennsylvanian Stanley Watrous was responsible for putting radon on the government's priority list when he set off the radiation detector in a nuclear power plant, which he was helped building prior to its commissioning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we were fortunate. Luckily, and Stanley's still hanging in there, too. That's yeah, the good I, part. I checked it up. Yeah, he's still kicking. He's still kicking. Good for Stanley. All right, 149, last one, except for this show. We had a great show. We had Rebecca Morley, the executive director of the National Center for Healthy Housing, a group that I feel is going to really be taking center stage on indoor environmental quality issues, uh, specifically with residential indoor environmental quality issues for the next four years or longer. Uh, a tremendous show uh, with Rebecca about the National Center, but also she recommended that we bring on Dr. Jerome Paulson, an MD. And Dr. Paulson was excellent. He did a wonderful job uh, discussing. And, and his big thing was he wanted us to get at 
the fact that there are these pediatric environmental health specialty units that work in conjunction with EPA regional offices and that anybody can contact them and get free advice from an MD. And, and they've got a great website. It's up on our website. And I thought that was great information for the listeners. Yeah, it was. And I liked uh, Rebecca's holiday gift suggestion, a healthy home gift basket, including smoke detectors, carbon monoxide detectors, and uh, like baby safe home uh, yep. Yep. kit as well for people that have uh, new babies. So that kind of wraps up what we've done. You know what we did in 2009. We've got a great year planned for next year, 2010. Before we go, I want to make sure we get Dr. Dieter in here. Dr. Dietrich Wow, our PhD CIH, who has just been uh, an invaluable uh, addition to the show. First, I want to say thank you, Dieter. We really appreciate you joining us every week here. I know you don't get paid to join us. I don't know if the listeners know that or not. Um, you do this as a voluntary thing because I know that you care about these issues and you care about making sure people are educated and we have good communication. So I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for helping us with this show and ask if you have any final comments. Well, uh, it certainly is a pleasure to listen to all uh, uh, the people we had on the show. I mean, uh, I learned a lot. And the beauty of it is uh, this doesn't cut into my drinking hours. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, a happy hour comes at 5 o'clock. So if we had that show from 5 to 6, you would be in trouble, I tell you. Anyway, we talked uh, we talked about wet homes and uh, molds and stuff like that uh, in, in several of these sections, and it appears that I'm starting to become the expert of mold issues in the Caribbean. That sounds terrific, but just the other day I came back from Jamaica, and I got here at 1 o'clock in the morning. I finally hit the bed at 2 o'clock, and I couldn't fall asleep. But uh, anyway... They do have problems over there, and there's nobody there who who knows what they are doing. And in the one place that I quote inspected, uh, one of the, the the remedies they have we paint over it. <laughs> yep. And uh, yep. then one of uh, one of the painters said, you know, after we do that three times, we have to replace the wood. <laughs> and I said, yep, that makes sense. That makes sense. We'll There's do. something behind it that you are feeding that is eating away on anything it can get. <laughs> um, they haven't gotten the, the, the message yet. And it's probably because of the reason that in that environment and with the home construction that they have, it hasn't changed in 50 years. Yeah, that is the problem. Yeah, the old forts that they, the, the British built and the Spaniards built down in Jamaica, they're still standing. All the new stuff is eaten away. Yeah, it's just it's going to get of worse. Interesting. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's interesting to me to educate the people and say, guys, you've got to watch out for that stuff. Yep. It's just going to get so worse to you. Heard here, a leaky huh? roof, and I said, yeah, every time it rains, everything gets wet down here. And I said, your roof is going to go pretty soon. And I said, oh, we painted over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it brings me so down. You have to tell the bartender to wear a hard hat. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> so I mean, I have fun doing this. And um, whenever I can, I will be here. I, I was in the Caribbean for the last two uh, Fridays for better or for worse, and um, 
I sure as hell haven't gotten paid for it, <laughs> which is highly unlikely. But um, no, uh, uh, I, I think I think we touch on a lot of topics which are interesting to people, um, and you, know, you 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 don't get that on the CNN news or ABC, CBS, NBC news. Uh, very seldom. I mean, the last time I heard something about indoor environmental issues is probably 10 years ago. So uh, I, I think we are doing a service, and I hope the people are listening. And yeah, we don't put on quacks. I mean, Joe knows most of them. I know right. many of them. Right. Uh, and uh, it's good information. We are, we, are, we are not getting paid for putting out the information and telling people, hey, you got to do this and that and the other. And I think that is the good part of the show. Hey, listen, guys, listen to it, and then you make your own decision, and maybe you want to get more into information, and we give all the people more you know, links or ways of how to get in touch with the people. Well, thank you, dear. Uh, we appreciate you joining us once again this week. And uh, before we go, I also want to make sure I say thanks to my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. Yeah, I think, Joe, it's important work that we do. I think, you know, build on one thing Dieter said, you know, you watch uh, television, you watch radio, they've got a talking head talking about something for 30 seconds or if it's really, really big news, uh, two minutes. You know, we have the ability to spend the whole hour yep. uh, every week just talking about one issue. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think, the way that training, I think it's the way that media uh, is going to be done in the future. I hope you're right, Cliff, and I, I couldn't agree more. And I want to also thank our new cyber jockey, wingman, environmental Annie Koalecki. Great job today, Annie. Yeah. Thank you, guys. First time solo, flying solo. Was this the first time flying solo? Yeah, she I don't know, it. but she did it and did a great job. We want to. We really appreciate that. I also want to mention a few other people. Uh, Chris Boisel, the wingman who's normally here. Um, Zach Slotnick, Cliff's son, who actually helped us figure this whole thing out and get it started. Glenn Fellman, who comes in for the IE Connections What's News on a regular basis. Uh, great guy to have on the show. And, uh, of course, all of your listeners and, of course, my, my loving wife. I can't thank her enough for putting up with me uh, being up late at night and then early in the morning trying to get ready for this show and not spending as much time as I probably could on fixing things around the house. But that's all right. They'll get fixed eventually. This is uh, Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks, uh, most importantly, to our growing group of loyal listeners. Please come back and uh, join us again next week. Or actually, it's not going to be next Friday. We'll be back January 14th for the next edition of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production.